When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we will explore the interesting stories of business executives, entrepreneurs, and industry leaders who are shaking things up and growing their companies. It is time to make some waves. Now here's your host, Tom Singer. Hey there, and welcome to Making Waves at Sea Level. This is the podcast that I started seven years ago to expose business leaders on ways to shake things up and make waves in business. And today, we're going to talk about recruiting, retention, and everything you need to know to be one of those places where everyone wants to work. And our guest is Bill Humbert. Hey, Bill, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Tom, thanks for having me. This is going to be fun. So, Bill, before we get started, you see a lot of people. You're out there in the business world. What do you think is the number one trait of success? for business executives? It's a combination of things, Tom. I believe it's A, desire to be successful, B, attract the right people to help you be successful, and then when you have problems, create the solutions and be persistent, and you will be successful. Awesome. Well, that's that's a lot of stuff going on, and we're actually going to touch on some of that today. But before I get started, I have to thank the sponsor of this episode, So this episode is brought to you by Stanton Chase International, one of the leading global executive search firms serving as trusted advisors to help companies build their senior leadership team. To find out more, visit StantonChase.com or reach out to me directly because I work with Stanton Chase. All right. So, Bill, before I get started, I got to tell everybody who you are. And you work in this world of recruiting also, like my company. And I thought it would be good to have sort of your point of view because you do things a little differently than everybody else. Bill has over 40 years of recruiting experience, and he now coaches organizations on how to recruit, onboard, actuate, and retain their talent. So he works deep inside a company on all aspects of their people thing. So Bill, how did you get started in the recruiting business? <laughs> well, Tom, you'll love this story. I, I, at the time I was living on 30 acres, in North central Maryland and dairy country, and I was in construction and I didn't want to drive the 65 miles down to DC to stay in construction. So I talked to our neighbor who's a farmer and I said, so who do you know that maybe I should talk to? And he said, you know, Bill, Danny Rupp is opening up a fertilizer business. Why don't you go down and talk to him? And so I talked to Danny Rupp and he needed a sales guy and I knew how to sell. And so he hired me and he started talking to me about fertilizer. And then he said, why don't you go out and visit some farmers and then come back tomorrow and tell me what you learned. And so this was a time in 1981 when farms, so family farms, the dairy farms were kind of going away, being sold and, and becoming larger farms. And I couldn't find any farms that had people in it. So finally, I did see one lane. I went up the lane. There was cars and outbuildings. And I got 
out of the car and I started listening and I heard music. And this is about 4.30 in the afternoon. And I walked up to the barn and it turned out it was a milking parlor. I walked in and I was a city kid. I was born in Washington, D.C., grew up just outside of D.C. And I thought, this is a piece of cake. So I stood behind a cow because the farmer was cleaning the udder and the tail went up. Now, for me, it had no special significance because I saw dogs and cats with tails up. And fortunately, the farmer looked up and at the last minute grabbed my shoulder, pulled me out of the way, then looked up and said, city kid, huh? I said, hey, it wasn't that long ago. I was playing street football. Go behind the Chevy. I'll hit you. Then somebody came to me one day and they said, have you ever thought about recruiting? And I went, no. Well, you're good with people. You're good with sales. I said, why would I want to be a recruiter? And they said, you'd make a lot more money. Well, that's, that is a good, that's a good way to get in, get into the business. And you didn't get shit on by the cow. So that was good too. Exactly. And you know what? Some people say that I'm still selling fertilizer. (laughs) So I've met Bill through the National Speakers Association, and Bill goes around and talks on HR issues. And Bill, you have a famous talk called Disrupt HR, and it's all about how you think recruiting should be removed from the HR department. So how did you come up with that as one of your main, somewhat controversial, but main topics that you are a speaker about? Well, when you think about human resources... It's an administrative slash compliance organization. Recruiting mirrors the sales process line by line perfectly. And so human resources typically hire administrative compliance people to do their recruiting. Now, have you ever been sold anything by somebody who's a compliance person other than you got to do this? No, well, a, a good long nap maybe comes from a compliance person talking. <laughs> right. That's right, especially when they're trying to talk to a candidate. So I believe that recruiting belongs over in operations, and that's where they're feeling the pain anyway. So they're going to fix it if it's not working. So recruiting is more of a sales thing than a compliance thing, right? So you, you kind of think that recruiting mirrors the sales process. So tell us your philosophy behind that. Well, when you look at the sales process, the first thing that you do, let's say you're creating your new business. What do you do? You look to see where there's a need. In the recruiting, the need is finding a new person to fit a position. It could be a position where somebody left or it could be a new position. The next step is in the process of sales is to create a solution that solves that problem. In the recruiting side of things, that's the job description. That's the solution. And unfortunately, in many companies, job descriptions are very poorly done. The third thing is now source the companies that would, or the individuals that would benefit from that solution. In recruiting, that is called sourcing. And what most companies tend to want to do because they're administrative is they want to post and pray that the right person 
is looking at my post exactly at the very same time I've got it out there. Sales, you're much more active. You're direct sourcing and you're going after the people. So you just follow it right down and, and the sales process and the recruiting process mirror each other perfectly. So a lot of companies don't use recruiters. This is something that surprised me when I got into the business. It's what I've discovered is companies that use you know, executive recruiting firms always use executive recruiting firms. And yet most firms don't. They think they can sort of post and pray, as you said, or or use one of these job boards. But I did talk to uh, a hiring manager the other day, and he said the interesting thing is because of all of these job board postings, he said that the serendipity of finding a candidate has left him. It's been a long time since he accidentally stumbled upon somebody because the algorithm is pushing people out who don't fit you know, the exact thing that was put into the computer program. And he said he misses the day of one of his employees coming and say, yeah, she doesn't have a degree, but she has this talent or she doesn't have experience on our industry, but oh my gosh, she did this. And he goes, those days are gone because of recruiting boards. Now you still can get that if you're using a recruiter because you've got that human element. But why do you think so many companies don't use recruiting? But it's easy. They don't know it's a sales process. And, and what they really, executives don't realize, they don't know what's going on back there, right? They have no clue. And what they don't realize, I, I also coach career seekers. And they do not realize that as soon as a career seeker, a professional, a top talent person, as soon as that person sees that they have to complete an application on a company website in order just to submit a resume, Bye-bye. They're gone because they, they've been conditioned over the last 20 years that they spend those 20 or 30 minutes filling out that stupid application. And I'm going to tell you, applications are important, but it's when you have them completed, it's important. So they, they fill that out and then they don't, never hear anything from the company. So my, my daughter was looking for a job. She graduated college in, in 2019 and she was waiting to see where her fiance was going to land because he had a very niche uh, career path. And so they were waiting to see where he landed. She then, she's a project manager and that's actually what she does. And that's her trade. She actually managed the project of moving her and her fiance to Chicago, getting their house set up, doing all the things they had to do. And in February, 2020, she said, I'm ready to go look for a career job. 10 months, eight months after she graduated. And of course the pandemic hit. And so it took her eight months, 10 months to find a job. But I was with her at Christmas last year and she was still looking. And she said the weirdest thing is she'd filled out like 150 applications for project manager jobs. And she said like only like 25 even responded that, ooh, we got your stuff and you're in the stack. She said it was a very small percentage of people. So you're right. So people think it's kind of like you and I both work as professional speakers. It's kind of like organizations who want you to fill out an RFP. The problem is most speakers won't fill out an RFP because they know statistically that is a, a big flushing sound down the toilet. So do you think that candidates, uh, companies that aren't using executive search are missing out on the best candidates? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> There's no question. You know, when I, when I was doing contingent work back in the 80s, early 90s, the Washington Post in D.C. was my best client. And I would talk to the director of IT. I never even knew who was in HR. And I talked to the director of IT and he'd tell me what he wanted. And I was really dialed in. And every time 
I introduced a candidate to him. They hired Tom, every single candidate I put out there because I was on target. I knew what they needed. I never even knew the HR person's name. Never knew it. So that's actually an interesting story, because if you think about the 1980s, the way you found candidates was you posted ads in newspapers. And here, your biggest client was a newspaper who knew that just posting the ad wasn't good enough. They needed to go out and have that human element to go out and, and do the search. So so that's a good feather in the cap for the 80s, and it's a good feather in the cap for the 2020s that uh, executive recruiting is a key thing to have. Now, you also are an expert in speaking about cultural fit for companies. So what is it about cultural fit that people are failing at? You know, it's interesting since HR is a compliance organization, they drop one of the top due diligence areas that helps determine cultural fit. And that's a proper reference check. And a proper reference check is not the, oh, hi, did Tom work there from such and such to so-and-so? Did he have the title of blah, blah, blah? famous podcast speaker, host, and then thank you. And so then they tell me, well, we could get sued. And I said, well, I've got some really bad news for you if that's the case. And they go, what's that? You can get sued for everything that you do in a company. <laughs> and so you got to stop doing everything? Probably not. So there is a proper way, and all a reference check is is another interview and the interview is to determine whether this person is a cultural fit or not. And you ask questions like what causes Tom stress? How does he handle the stress? What frustrates Tom? How do you know he's frustrated? Now, if the response is Tom is frustrated in a bureaucratic organization and that company is a bureaucratic organization, wrong fit. So it's interesting because I've learned in, in my time in, re, in recruiting that how you do the reference check and the questions that you ask are super important to finding out where the person's strengths and weaknesses are. And most people think, well, you know, their references are never going to say anything bad. Well, they don't say anything bad, but if you phrase the question, they give you those little insights like you just said. And so if cultural fit is so important to companies and you're saying the number one thing that companies are doing is dropping reference checks, you know, it's got to be more than just being sued. Is it because... It's also hard to do. Why, why else are companies not doing the level of reference check that they need to make sure they have that cultural fit? It's got to be more than being worried about being sued. Well, part of the reason they're worried about being sued is the best person to do the reference check is the hiring manager because the hiring manager knows the total job and what they expect. HR is very high level. You know, and so am I. I know from a high level perspective, whether this person may be a fit or not, and sometimes I actually know better than the company does, but the HR department doesn't know or they don't understand the importance of a reference check in terms of creating the right cultural fit. And Tom, if you don't do that, you won't have what's happened to me four times on four different reference checks over 40 years. And when you think about it, that's a lot. I called the, the reference. I said, Marianne, so-and-so used your name as a reference. And the person burst out laughing. <laughs> and one of them said, I fired her two weeks ago. So 
I, I am shocked that a candidate would give a reference that they did not know was going to give a positive reference and that they didn't reach out and ask somebody. I mean, even as a speaker, you know, I have associations all the time who are like, can we talk to some of your past clients? I always reach out to the clients before I give their name and ask. So what is what's wrong with the job seeker that's doing that? Well, it's what's wrong is the companies aren't doing reference checks anymore and the job seeker assumes they're not going to call the the reference. Ah, clever. I see. <laughs> All right. So, Bill, I've got some more questions for you around this whole topic. But first, I have to thank the other sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They do all the heavy lifting and that pesky technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing people who are making waves in the business world like Bill Humbert. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know that some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So, Bill, one of the things that you and I have talked about is what happens when you make an offer to a candidate and they go back and tell their boss, I'm moving on to company XYZ. And the original company says, but we love you, man. And they make a counteroffer. So you have some serious thoughts about this. So let's talk about the counteroffer because it happens from time to time. Well, I when I'm talking to the candidate and I'm extending the offer to them, I prepare them for the counteroffer then because I want them to understand, well, there's two things going on. I want them to expect a counteroffer. Now, if they don't get one, they're going to be disappointed or maybe even upset. Oh, they didn't give me a counteroffer? What's up with that? That shows how much they don't like me. So I want that side. But the other side is what's a counteroffer do? It builds a person's ego. And the person maybe has had no reason to have their ego built by their manager up until that moment. The other part is that people don't like change. You know, and as a recruiter yourself, Tom, you know, there are times where people absolutely need to make a change. You know it. They sort of know it, but they're afraid of it. And and so I want them, I'm preparing them now for their change. And I'm also getting a sense as to whether they may renege on their acceptance. And so what I do is I have on my website on recruiterguy.com, I have a list of eight different statements that a hiring manager will typically typically make if they're going to offer a counteroffer. And so I say to that candidate, hey, go look at that list and then tell me tomorrow after you resign and tell them you've accepted another offer, how many of those eight did you hear? <laughs> now, my top one, what Kate called me the next day, and he's laughing. And he said, I heard seven of them. So, so what, what are the things that people hear when they go and resign? Give us a couple of them. You don't have to give all eight. But. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's fun. One of the things they hear is, Tom, tomorrow we were going to tell you about this promotion for you. <laughs> and unfortunately, they've been talking about it and then said several weeks ago it's not going to happen. Now, all of a sudden, it's going to happen. So that's one. Another is to put a guilt trip on the person. We're in the biggest project we've ever had, and you're leaving us now. Look what you're doing to our team. 
that's your problem. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Bill, before we wrap this up, I want to switch gears here. Let's do a commercial for why a company should be using an executive search consultant. Let's, let's, let's go through the things that you've experienced. Let's make this a commercial for you. We'll make it a commercial for Stanton Chase, make it a commercial for our other competitors, because only about, like I said, about 20% of companies are using executive search to find their best candidates. And yet we know that it's such a much better way and more efficient way to find great candidates that are going to stick around, that are going to be a cultural fit, that are going to accept your offer, et cetera. So let's start with why do you think so many companies aren't doing it and what do they need to know? Well, the reason so many companies are not using executive recruiters is because their compliance administrative organization are are afraid that the recruiters are going to make them look bad and the cost. All right. So you have a long, long history of experience. So let's talk about that cost, because I know that it's actually costs them more if they don't use it because they can have higher turnover and everything else. What are some of the reasons why the fee isn't as expensive as it sounds? Well, number one is we will probably help them identify, you know, within the first three or four candidates, the right person for them. So they're not going to have to waste their time interviewing a lot of different people. We're doing that up front. At least the good recruiters are. I, I usually spend an, at least an hour pre-screening every candidate before I submit them to my client. So that's number one. Number two is since the wrong people are recruiting and don't understand sales, as soon as they hit an objection, they go, oh, okay, and then they go away instead of answering the objection. And it typically, you know, we all get – two or three, maybe four objections, and we have to handle those. And usually it's just a matter of turning it around and then making the person go, oh, yeah, that's, that's not that important. <laughs> and then finally, we, clo- we know how to close a candidate. We're sales professionals. We know how to close a candidate on the job. Which goes back to your point that recruiting actually mirrors the sales process. So let's let's touch on that a little bit because we know that HR people aren't necessarily great salespeople. So let's talk about how recruiting mirrors the sales process and why a company should think about this when they're starting a search. So if you go down the process, and I'm just going to hit the top three and then hit some down in, in the process. Number one is when you're starting a new company or starting a new product line in a company, you look at what is the problem, what needs to be solved. And on the recruiting process, that's a newer replacement position. The next step is to create a solution to solve that problem. What are people going to buy? In this step, for the recruiting side, that's a job description. That shows how important having a good job description for that position is. The third step is to source companies who may need or individuals who may need that solution. The same is true on the recruiting side. We're sourcing candidates that may be great fits for that position. The interview is the needs analysis. When when you go into the needs analysis in a company or with an individual, get down to due diligence. You have the background check in, in recruiting. You've got the, uh, drug test, if they do that, you've got the reference check. <laughs> That's a part of the process. And then you work your way down, you know, you close, 
the candidate on the job, you coach them on the counteroffer, you actuate them. You know, employee engagement is such a huge issue in companies today. Well, actuating them is helping to get them engaged. I suggest you do it by, in the job description, by listing the three-month, six-month, nine-month, and 12-month goals. Now that person knows exactly what that first year looks like, and you know exactly what to look for. And then there's the retention. And retention is very important, obviously, and you do that by measuring the goals and how they are relative to their goals. And then secondly, stay in communication with them and ask for their ideas. One of the basic fundamentals of lean manufacturing is to have the people doing the work provide the suggestions on how to eliminate waste. Awesome. So I want to touch on one more thing, and then I'm going to let you go, and that is at what size should a company be looking for executive search for their top level or some of their mid-range employees that they're looking to fill these positions? Because it seems like small companies go, oh, we're not there yet. We're not ready. But companies that are VC-backed or private equity-backed all seem to, or many of them seem to use it because their investors are saying, oh, we're going to use this search firm to to go out and find this employee. But people who are sort of on their own and self-grown tend to shy away. At what point do you think they should be looking at a recruiting firm? So, Tom, my one of my favorite contracts was a DSL company back in 1999 in Waltham, Massachusetts. And I walk in to uh, help them recruit, and I'm in an unfinished office, and, and there is no um, phone line yet, and everybody is on their cell phone. There's a, 10 people sitting around the a conference table on their cell phones talking to different companies. And the 12th seat was for me. And I sat between the angel investor and the founder of the company. And I needed to help them find 10 new people in the next, uh, I think, three months to help them get that business up and running. So it can be really small. If you've got if you've got investors backing you, they'll they'll back you because they want you to succeed. Yep, I agree. That was that was that was a fully a setup question because I I agreed with that right along right along the whole thing. All right, so Bill, if somebody wants to find out more about you, how do they find you? I'm very easy to find, Tom. I'm uh, recruiterguide.com. And I've been RecruiterGuy.com for 20 years now. So, uh, so I am the Recruiter Guy. I am, you can find me on LinkedIn, LinkedIn.com slash in slash Recruiter Guy. <laughs> awesome. On Twitter, I am at RecruiterGuy81 because that's the year I started recruiting. And, uh, you know, I'm on Facebook, but I would say those other three are probably the best places to find me. Awesome. Well, Bill, thank you so much for being a guest here on Making Waves at Sea Level. And thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened. I say it every episode. If it wasn't for the audience, why would we do the podcast? You know, we're closing in on our 700 episode. We're now over seven years strong and we're not stopping anytime soon. So please go out there and tell your friends about Making Waves at Sea Level. And you can go leave one of those little reviews that say, hey, I love this podcast. But more importantly, go tell a friend. Now, Go out there, flex your business muscles. Make sure your career ladder is against the right wall because you don't want to climb the career ladder to find out you were in the wrong place. 
And while you're out there doing all this stuff, have some fun along the way. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast. Without your listening to these in-depth conversations, there would be no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter and Instagram at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.